Hi, I'm Dan Cottrell, editor of Rugby Coach Weekly. You're about to jump into one of our podcasts. If you want to find out more about this podcast and also all of the great content, drills, activities, games and advice on the website, then go over to www.rugbycoachweekly.net. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Retrieval is about checking and accelerating knowledge, whereas checking for understanding is more about gauging your thought process and allowing me to figure out where next. Rugby Coach Weekly presents The Coaching Knife, where we cut to the root, cut out the fluff, and challenge the masters of their domain to cut to the chase. Welcome to The Coaching Knife, when we cut to the root of the matter. In this episode, we speak to Bradley Bush, Director of Inner Drive and Chartered Psychologist. Focusing on how we ask questions, we're going to cut the root on where coaches go wrong when they try to engage their learners. Bradley, are you ready for the knife? Yeah, go ahead, cut away. What is a bad question? I guess a bad question is one that isn't fit for purpose. Probably, I think most questions are designed to accelerate learning. So any question that doesn't make students think hard, think deeply or capture a range of athlete in your session probably counts as a bad question. So that's slightly scary for um, an athlete or player because they know every question which is going to come towards them is going to be challenging. So they probably want to avoid having questions. Yeah, well, I mean, it depends partly on the culture. I think when it comes to asking questions, there's the structure of the question itself, uh, one that helps accelerate learning and taps into areas like retrieval practice. And then there's the culture which is asked. If you ask me now a challenging question, but you know, I know you have listened to your pod, you're a nice person. I know there's probably not much feel failure, psychological safety, then it's okay, I think, to be challenged if done in quite a warm environment. Okay, so let's say we're in this warm environment. Where where do coaches go wrong with their questions? So what's not fit for purpose? Okay, so I think the first part is overcomplicating the question in the first place. So it's amazing how we feel the need to either feel silence or to repeat ourselves because we have this sort of imposter syndrome that we worry we haven't explained it well the first time and if we ask a very wordy question or you know go over it too many times we're confusing people before they've even started to think of, of the answer so i think that's the first part to it is the structure okay, so, uh, of what's, the question what's a, can you give me an example of a question like that obviously it's something you never do but let's say you once upon a time a long time ago you asked a ba- bad question what 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 would that sort of um, sound like well it's amazing you, once you listen out for it you can hear it all the time especially on if they do if we listen to press conferences for example the first one is people often ask multiple questions within one and so therefore you know the athlete is thinking of answering the first question but then you finish on a different question and then they don't know which one to focus on so i think multiple questions Questions. I think language in terms of pitching it to the right level is, you know, there's a thing called the curse of expertise, which is like, once I know something, I assume everyone else must know that as well. So I use terminology that's familiar to me, as opposed to terminology that might be appropriate for the athlete. So it's about pitching it at the right level. We're not trying to trick people with our questions. So we're not trying to be too complex or drawn out, if you like. So if we don't want to trip them up or be too complex, how are we going to challenge them? What sort of questions yeah. are going to... So let's start Let's start with um, the easiest in to challenge a player. I mean, obviously, we've got to create a scenario, but we, we've um, when we start a lesson or a, a sporting 
here I am probably asking multiple questions here, but I'm going to go. <laughs> one question. One question is the one question I'm going to ask. A good question. We are starting a session, yeah. And a good way to start a session with a question is to get them to try and remember something from a previous session that they've done. Right. Idea retrieval. What would be a good way of doing that? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is if you're asking questions, we have to appreciate just the limitation of working memory. Like everyone knows working memory is small, but we tend to overestimate, you know, just how, how big it might actually okay, be. Okay, well, so let, let's just quickly remind ourselves of what right. working memory is. Uh, so working memory is if I give you new information, it's where new information is both held and processed, which is why, and it's so small, which is why if I give you a new mobile phone number that's brand new to you, you don't remember that forever because it's, it's too much for your working memory, so not enough is kind of transferred. And if, again, if we ask these long or complex or multiple questions, you know, we're taxing working memory too much, and they're trying, they're spending all their limited remaining working memory trying to remember the question. Whereas actually, I want them using that space to come up with the answer. So going back to your initial question of uh, yes, you ask a question that gets them doing some retrieval, which cognitive scientists have found is probably one of our best bets to accelerate learning, which is generating an answer from memory. We link it to previous stuff that they've okay, done. Sorry, let, let, so what's, what would be that? What would be an example of that question? So we're standing in front of a group of under 12s. They could be soccer players, rugby players, cricketers netballers and we need to what would be a good opening question okay well i i think it is quite context specific but let's say you're talking about i don't know the decision of where the fullback should play the ball how to play the ball out from the back uh if you've done some stuff previously on that and you want to build on that on this session it's very tempting just to remind people of what you did in the previous session whereas the research suggests if we can quiz them and ask them to recall what they remember once people answer, especially if they do so in their own words, they're not just repeating back what you previously told them. It essentially helps them ingrain, cement it and activate their previous knowledge and memory of that, which therefore makes the coming session easier because it's, they have more anchor points that they can readily attach the new information onto. So it's a way of basically starting to get them to think hard and taking the playing the fullback out. You might go, you know, generally speaking, where are the two or three points that you can look to play out from the back? And when would you not do that? And if the player moved here, what would be your thought process as to what you might do? And it's getting them to no, do sorry, that. Sorry, Bradley, Bradley, you've just you've given me three questions. Oh yeah, but I was doing them one after the other, oh, as okay, opposed okay, to doing okay. one guy. So I was doing multiple. Oh, right, I see. Okay. Uh, so uh, now let's just think about um, the. So you're going to ask those three questions, but they're going to be one, then another, then another uh, as sure. they build up. So when we're asking that first question, another problem that. Um, coaches have they ask the question and uh their best three players will immediately stick their hands up or two players will immediately stick their hands up and one of which has not even listened to the the right. question because they want to answer so how's what's the best language to ask that so we know we need to ask that question yeah how do we do it affect yeah so it's really common i think what you've described is how when you ask a question the answers tend to be dominated by the loudest, the quickest, or the most knowledgeable. And the problem with that is the gap just gets wider and wider in terms of how people build knowledge. So there's this thing called, I love the phrase, it's called the Matthew effect. It was first described in in the Bible, the Matthew effect is how the rich get richer. The same is true for memory and knowledge. So the more you know, the easier it is to learn new information. So in the situation you described, if the answers are always coming from the same few people, they get the benefits, that retrieval of successfully answering it. And so their knowledge grows and grows. Whereas everyone else, because they learn that it's always the same three who answer it, they don't need to think hard. They get further away. So what you're really trying to do with a good question is there's two things. You're trying to get range. So you want everyone thinking hard 
So you get the whole range of your athletes in the group thinking hard and you want depth, which is what you kind of refer to as challenging questions. So how do we get both range and depth? I think there's two different strategies you can look at. One in the research it's referred to as wait times. So when we ask a question, how long do you leave before you solicit an answer from someone? Research suggests that on average, we only leave about a second. And in some cases, I found it's as short as 0.2 seconds. Like you ask a question, someone immediately puts their hand up and you're so grateful that someone's not left you hanging that you go to them. And if you think, if we're saying retrieval is one of our best bets for learning, you can't come up with your best answer in under a second. What you're doing is come up with your first answer. So wait times, you know, we don't know exactly how long is a good wait time. It probably varies on a number of factors, but leaving enough time for everyone, not just the quickest or the loudest. So if anything, this is quite a democratic and fair approach. Everyone get that benefit. And then you want... Can I just also yeah. say that um, this doesn't happen. You just don't go down. You don't listen to this podcast, pop down to your session and say, ask a question and say, wait, this takes time for them to understand. This is how you're going to ask questions. They need to be warned that things are going to change. Yeah, massively. And it's also, it's cumulative. So if my previous experience have only ever been that Dan only ever asked Tim the answer. Yeah. I won't bother. Whereas each time that I literally witness you give everyone a chance to think, I now know that it's not a race. Right. Like it's a process of learning as opposed to a race to completion. And so that's where that, again, that culture I think comes in because it's a build. So yeah, you absolutely need to embed it and do this as it's not a one-off or else it just seems weird. So if that allows you for depth, in order to get range, I think areas such as cold calling, which essentially is you can ask anyone in the group to answer and they're expecting that to happen. Essentially, you're inviting other people into the discussion. And because I don't know if you're going to invite me or not, I'm going to have to do some thinking because you might call upon me. Whereas if we just do hands up, essentially... I know that if I just keep my hands down, you'll never ask me. So therefore, I don't need to do anything. Let's, un let's unpack cold calling a bit because it's becoming more more people become more aware of it. Yeah. Um, so the the idea is that I would ask a question to the group, but I would say before I say, say I'm going to call. I might even call it cold calling. I might say I'm going to cold call. So could there be any one of you? I'm going to ask this question. You're going to have a little bit of time to think, and then I'm going to ask one of you to come up with the answer. Yeah, and I think that's a good way to introduce it, especially at the start, because if you don't do it that way it can easily be misinterpreted you're picking on someone mm. whereas i'm not doing this to pick on anyone i'm not doing it because i want to capture them when they haven't paid attention and embarrass them into paying attention i'm doing it because i value everyone's answer to your valued member of, of, of the group and so, I like, so i like that bit then just so you say that i value everyone's answer so yeah. just, just tell us a bit more about that because suddenly that seems to be far more powerful way of making it okay for me to answer the question oh massively because i think a lot of people have a feel failure that if you ask me and i get it wrong I look dumb or you might not ask me again or other people might laugh at me. Whereas I'm trying to create a culture where I think I'm trying to actually do on the pitch as well, where it's good to take risks and to put yourself forward into opportunities. And if I don't do that cold calling ever, if it's only the loudest, the quickest or the most knowledgeable who participate, if I feel like I'm not one of those people, I quickly feel that I'm not valued and almost I don't really belong in the group. I'm not offering anything. Whereas when the adult in the room on the pitch says, you know, Brad, what do you think? And I really care about what your answer is. I'm included. Right. So let's say that I want to ask that question and it comes out with a, the wrong answer. So I've, I know that you, you've got to stop 
averaging up right so yeah which is a big problem so you may give me an answer and i'll say you're nearly right when in fact you're wrong what so because that's a really important part because just asking the question and hearing the answer isn't enough you need to then give some confirmation or change what's happening so yes and no here's where i might kind of slightly i don't know be controversial or disagree is like there's nothing wrong with getting the answer wrong and i think if they never get the answer wrong then we kind of create this myth that you should never get the answer answer wrong and so yeah for some people averaging up as you described might be really good because it shows confirmation that i value that you've tried but on the same basis i don't want to lower expectations i do want you all thinking hard about my questions and so there are a number of strategies i think you can do so how do you deal with wrong answers one is i've had i had a great psychologist once told me that if you say what do you uh, I ask you know Tim what do you think and, and Tim goes I don't know so not even the wrong answer just refusing to give an answer <laughs> yeah. to kind of follow up with okay but like what do you think what do you think instead of uh, in response to I don't know is really nice because it's a bit softer because we all think something I'm taking the pressure off one technique that I heard Doug Lamont the author and educator uh, he was telling me about he talked about talking about formative prompts which sounds quite fancy but it's actually quite simple is if I go um, ask a question I go Dan let's start with you that's a beautiful phrase for two reasons one it takes the pressure off you because I'm saying let's start with you Dan so I'm not expecting you to get a complete perfect answer so it takes the pressure off you and what it also does is everyone else has to listen to your answer because I'm saying let's start with you the implication is I'm going to be coming to other people to build on your answer so even if you get it wrong i want someone else to be able to build or critique that answer so actually that's the question not only does it help you improve your skills as an individual but actually helps improve everyone else's listening skills because they have to listen to your answer so you're actually working on multiple levels here now for what makes a good question as it were so let's say i uh, I, I don't say i don't know but i, yeah. I come up with the, the wrong answer yeah. which is which is not really anywhere near where you where yeah. you want to go the, the idea that I might not even be on the same page. Yeah. So, I mean, again, there's no one set way, but there's loads of subtle strategies. So you could go, you know what, Dan, I used to think that as well. Can anyone suggest why I might used to think that and why that might not quite be the case? Or you could go, you know, OK, uh, we're going to park that answer there. Can anyone else come up with a different reason? And Dan, just so you know, I'm going to want your opinion on what the next person's answer is as well. So I, I feel like I don't need to patronise you. I don't need to lie about if it was close to being right. But I just can still acknowledge your answer. I can still invite, keep you as part of the conversation without embarrassing you. But I also, I don't feel the need to sugarcoat it because I don't want you going, okay, like either my incorrect answer was right or my lack of effort in coming up with that incorrect answer is all I need to do in the future. Now, I quite like the idea also that um, you talking about psychological safety is that we're going to do something. I'm going to ask some, I'm going to ask some actually difficult questions. So I'm not expecting the, everyone to get the answers right. So don't worry, this is, I'm challenging you. And that gives them that sense that I can try something. I can offer something which might not, because some but some of it, you're looking for them to check for understanding. Now, I just wonder, is, is checking for understanding challenging? So the whole point, I guess, so when you ask a question, there's they serve different purposes. So questions that are for retrieval purposes, which are about accelerating your learning. And I want to see, you know, how much have you remembered and retained from previous sessions? Whereas checking for understanding for me, its primary purpose as a coach is to allow me to figure out what do I need to do next to help you along the way. Sometimes in the research, they refer to as hinge questions, which uh, kind of serve a similar purpose. Often they're very short questions, but the whole point of them is 
that will affect the constraints that I decide for the next activity. So it allows me to check your thought process. So for me, I guess retrieval is about checking and accelerating knowledge, whereas checking for understanding is more about gauging your thought process and allowing me to figure out where next. I mean, there are a, there's a couple of words that um, you're supposed to not to use when you start a question. Uh, I mean, we, we've talked about this before. I mean, my mind is, keeps changing. More right. people seem to be using the word why, yeah. uh, which um, a while ago used to be don't ask questions starting with why. It's First of all, help me out. Am I okay to use why? And the second thing is, are, are there sort of, um, I know there's sometimes we have closed and open questions. Do we need to get, I said, I've just asked a closed question by that. Do we need to get worried about it? So I've done lots of bad questions. There. I've asked about three or four different <laughs> Yeah, but they were really quite uh, so quality let's, questions. Let's go, my first yeah. question is, is why okay? Yeah, like why is definitely okay. Like I, I, you shouldn't be caught up in like dogma and set rules. Like you know your sport, you know your athletes and your training session. And if you're making a judgment call that you want to ask a particular type of question for a particular reason, then I think it's really easy to second guess yourself because of experts on the internet say something else, uh, but they're not in your session. And I think what might be a good way of answering that question and indeed one of your other questions is if we think about athletes on a novice to expert continuum, novices being ones who don't know much about the particular area. So their technical term schema is not very refined, where the experts, you know, who know a lot and have this deep, rich knowledge, you know, to begin with, maybe for novices, I do want to ask more close questions because I need to provide more structure and support. Maybe I can only ask them why if they have some base knowledge that I've taught them previously. Whereas for once someone knows a lot about a topic, you know, asking more open-ended questions, asking those why questions allows them to tap into their long-term memory into their schema. And so it might be more appropriate. So I think that's why stuff being seen as good or bad debunked or brilliant like it's 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 a faulty way of thinking as opposed to what's right for the context okay well bradley we go on and on on this this is fantastic but we're gonna we're gonna finish there so bradley works in education sport and business and helps uh, people to improve how they learn think and perform under pressure so he's been performing under pressure <laughs> there he's within sport he's worked with lots of different football clubs manchester united manchester city and tottenham has been a couple of them I'm not sure if you're allowed to say that you work for manchester united if you walk through the the city door but uh, i'm sure that they've forgiven you we work with athletes in the olympic areas who've medaled in london 2012 rio 2016 and tokyo 2020 he's co-author of the best-selling book the science of learning writes regular blogs for the guardian telegraph bbc5 live men's health and bt sport and he's got a new book just coming out might even come out by the time this comes online teaching and learning learning illuminate uh th th thanks for the mention of the book uh we're, we're excited about that last one and what we tried to do is yeah we basically see ourselves as google translate for research and where science of learning we try to put it into words teaching and learning illuminated we try to take complex research and put it into pictures and graphics really well and uh, obviously the uh your website innerdrive.co.uk has got some fantastic illustrations backed by research and i think one of the key things that um probably didn't come out and what we were saying or might just at the end is that you're very keen to look at a range of answers and ways to approach things rather than the way okay so we're going to finish with some quick fire questions um bradley how old are you i'm 38 years old what coaching book is by your bedside 
Oh, so I haven't read a coaching book in a while, but the one that's probably nearest. Have you ever read um, Sacred Hoops by Phil Jackson? That that was quite, I think, a seminal one for me. Just kind of looking at coaching in a different way. Uh, I've always had a soft spot for that one. So, which coach or teacher are you loving at the moment? Oh, there is an incredible educator called Sarah Cottingham, who we have the privilege of doing some stuff with. She has a book coming out uh, looking at a learning theory called Azabel's Theory of Meaningful Learning. That, I think, is, if you're interested in learning cognitive science, yeah, I'd strongly recommend her and her work. Yeah, I'm biased because uh, we've um, published some of her articles. Very, very good. Which team or sport or subject would you love to be coaching at the moment? Oh, I think well, the pinnacle would have to be the England men's football team trying to, if you could be in any way part of helping your country win a World Cup, then that would have to be the absolute pinnacle. Um, not when I think how many years of hurt now it is. <laughs> who's inspired you most oh can i give a really cheesy answer and probably say my parents they they moved over my family's from south africa so they kind of moved over when they emigrated on their own and seeing them break life and build their businesses is uh yeah a good a good reminder what would you tell your 20 year old self to do more of and you're not allowed to say invest in bitcoin as suggested so so if i was going to tell my what would i tell my 20 year old self I think I was probably too caught up on focusing, especially because I was doing my master's when looking at research. I'm like, what is the answer and what is the right way? And being very rigid and thinking all you therefore need to do is tell athletes or coaches that knowledge that you've read and therefore that therefore they'll have your knowledge and they'll be brilliant. I think realizing that the complexity, especially in elite sport, it's much more messy than the research journals look like. Uh, the amount of conversations I've had with athletes that have got nothing to do with sports psychology that have had a huge impact on their performance, which you kind of don't always get from the research, is probably what I try and remind myself. Okay, brilliant, Bradley. It's been brilliant. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for the invite and for, and for having me and for all you do in, in the area. 